The Alabama Crops Report Podcast, your trusted information source for Alabama agriculture. Hey, everybody, and welcome in to another episode of the Alabama Crops Report Podcast. I'm Extension Entomologist Scott Graham. And I'm Adam Rabinowitz, an Extension Economist. Adam, how's it going today? I'm doing really good, Scott. Um, it's it's nice to be here with you. This is the first time in all our episodes that you and I have hosted together. Yeah, yeah, so we'll see. I don't know if they've kind of planned us not to do that together or what, so we'll see how it goes. I don't know, but I'm looking forward to it. Yep, same here. All right, so our guest today is Eddie McGriff. Eddie's our uh, regional extension agent in Northeast Alabama, came down to, to Auburn today to record with us. Eddie, how's it going? Good, Scott and Adam. Good, good. We appreciate you coming down to uh, talk to us today about some of the stuff you've been working with, particularly the kind of moving into early planted soybeans in Alabama. But before we get to that, uh, we something that we've kind of started doing on the, the podcast the last couple of weeks is just trying to get to know our folks better. So tell us a fun fact about yourself. I guess a fun fact, uh, when I was at Auburn and I played football, right before my sophomore year, I tore my ACL on my knee, and so I go up to the Houston Clinic, and at that time, they were still cutting the uh, the uh, knee open and repairing it, and it was a long recovery period. Well, a new surgeon for the Houston Clinic, Dr. James Andrews, who had become a world-renowned surgeon, operated on a lot of famous athletes, then not one so famous, me. He tells me we're going to do a new procedure and we've never done it before and this is arthroscopic surgery and it's going to allow you to recover quicker and get back on the field. So I was the first one that he did the arthroscopic surgery with. So anybody whose favorite athlete has had arthroscopic surgery particularly by Dr. James Andrew, can thank you for it is what you're saying. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that they, they had to have somebody that wasn't that good to practice on before they really got the good athletes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. They needed that guinea pig to start with. Yeah. Is that it? <laughs> so that, that's pretty interesting, Eddie. So how, how long have you been with Alabama Extension now? I've been with them for five years. Before that, I was with the University of Georgia Extension for 30 years. And I was a county agent in some of the bigger ag counties in uh, South Georgia, uh, Calhoun, Decatur, and Coffee County. And then for four years after I uh, retired from the University of Georgia, I was a multi-state agronomist with Southern States before coming back home. I'm originally from Coleman, Alabama. I wanted to come back to, to North Alabama, and this gave me the opportunity and, and a job that I really love. Well, that's great. It's great to have your experience and, and your expertise in that area. So, uh, you know, like I said earlier, we brought you on to talk about this kind of moving into ultra early and, and early planted soybeans. So, you know, what, what do you consider to be ultra early or early planted beans? Well, ultra early would be anything planted in late March to the middle of April. And I consider early planted beans anything from mid-April to the 1st of May. And so we're seeing more and more growers go to this ultra-early or the early planted beans with the indeterminate variety. One thing I would say is when you get down to South Alabama, uh, the indeterminate varieties do pose some risks in that the seed quality during the heat of the growing season uh, when the pods are forming, uh, the seed quality may not be there. So if you're in the furthest south of Alabama, I would not 
advise early uh, indeterminate varieties unless they were under irrigation. And I would experiment with the varieties and make sure that I could get good seed quality. So where are we right now just to, in terms of the, the, the planting time that you just mentioned? Where are we right now heading into um, the growth stage? Well, we had several growers that, that planted uh, ultra early and early planted in North Alabama. We see more and more growers going to this system even though it uh, competes with planting corn at the same time. But uh, the, the beans that were planted, I, I have some growers that planted as early as April the 6th and some that planted in mid-April. Those beans are potting right now and that's very important because you want pod fill to be during the longest uh, days of the year. And so June 21st is our traditional longest day of the year. So if we can get these beans potting and they begin to pod on June the 21st or a little bit earlier, that means we'll have more sunlight available for the plant, more photosynthesis to, to make sugars that is that are put into pod production. And this is what gives us typically our higher yields by planting in, in April versus May in Alabama. You know, another thing, Eddie, with that is, you know, a lot of times one of the best insecticides we have in, in soybeans is planting date. We can plant earlier. We can catch things like stink bugs on other crops uh, and corn, something like that, when we're kind of putting those pods on, like you mentioned. A lot of times our defoliators, particularly in North Alabama where you are, come in later in the year. So we can uh, catch them at a time when maybe our beans aren't quite as susceptible to uh, defoliation and things like that as well. So that, that's another good benefit we have from earlier planted beans. Well, not only uh, stink bugs in our, our foliage feeders, but also by planting early, sometimes we escape some of the diseases that are brought in by tropical storms such as uh, uh, Asiatic soybean rust. And also, if we can plant early, sometimes if we plant in a field with nematodes, we can get a head start on those nematodes. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of, a lot of advantages there uh, for this system. But you know, are there any disadvantages to, to making that change? Well, I guess the biggest disadvantage would be the potential for a frost or a freeze. Although soybeans are actually more tolerant of cold weather than corn is, the only difference is corn's growing point is under the ground to V5 or V6, so it's kind of protected. But Soybeans will stand several hours of 28 to 30 degree temperatures before you get freeze damage. And that doesn't mean the air temperature is 28 to 30 degrees. That's got to be the temperature around the soybean plant. And usually it doesn't get that cold around the soybean plant. If we look at our neighbors to the north, uh, Indiana and Iowa, you know, they advise their growers the best time to plant soybeans is in late April. So they're actually planting before we are. And when you look at most of the work that's been done so far on early planted soybeans uh, for broad scale farmers is Mississippi and Arkansas. And they recommend that mid-April or actually April the 10th to the April the 20th is the ideal time for them to plant these early planted beans. So we got a lot of people that are planting early planted beans. In fact, one grower that I worked in in South uh, Georgia, uh, Randy Dowdy, has set two world records 
with these early planted beans. So it gives us a lot of opportunity for high yields and also another thing it gives us advantage of, we might be able to take advantage of a positive basis by getting them off in September or early October versus later planted beans. Now you're talking about some of my language there when you start talking about positive basis and, um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, as an economist. Yeah, we've had growers that have got a dollar more for their beans by getting them off in September. So, you know, you're not only talking about higher yields, but you're potentially talking about higher prices. So generally when you get them off in September in North Alabama, there's a positive basis. It may be, it may just be how much uh, the uh, mills want the uh, beans, but I've seen it from 50 to a dollar uh, a bushel. And that can be pretty significant. That, that's certainly a nice advantage for producers. Yeah, I'll tell you earlier we were talking about some, kind of some fun facts potentially, and and you know one thing that you didn't mention that that I think my teenager would absolutely love is you know that you're a YouTuber, right? So you've got your own YouTube series, the Bean Counters. Yeah, the Can Bean you Tell counter. us about that a little bit. Well, I've asked the only two growers that have documented hundred bushel yields in Alabama are hundred bushel per acre yields, and are Nick McMeekin, who was our first grower to do it up in Cherokee County and uh, he did it at 101 bushels and then in uh, uh, Limestone County the Henderson Farms who have also done 100 bushels. Well I've asked these two growers since they've done 100 bushels if they'll allow me to go through the growing season and film them and interview them uh, during each stage. So we've done eight episodes so far are the bean counters and they have proved uh, pretty popular because uh, farmers like to see what other successful farmers are doing. And this year, the one thing is, is uh, Nick uh, McMeekin has done the early system and he's planted 600 acres in of early planted beans in mid-April. And Eddie, with, with that, or and I'm sure you're talking about these in, in your bean counter episodes as well, but what kind of input differences are are they seeing? And you know, are we planting a different maturity group by planting that early? Or Well, we're trying to get uh, indeterminate variety, and usually indeterminate varieties end at your early five, usually a 5.2, although we do have some indeterminate varieties that are, you know, in the mid fives. But what we're doing is uh, planting these indeterminate varieties and uh, uh, trying to get them off early. The one input that I would say that they normally have um, um, more cost involved in, in it, and that is potash. What we've seen in replicated research on farms is that these high-yield beans, if you'll put an application of potash out at uh, R1, R2, early bloom, give it time, this keeps the potash level up in the leaf and keeps the leaf food factory going a little bit longer. And what we've seen is larger beans. And these larger beans has translated into uh, higher yields. In other words, Generally, uh, uh, beans will do 28 to 3,200 seed uh, per pound. Well, with these early beans, with the supplemental potash, 
we're getting from 2,000 to 2,200. So you get bigger beans, you're going to get higher yields. Now, one thing I will say, unless you're going to make 75 or 80 bushels, I don't advise making an additional potash application because we just don't see the yield increases until we get to these higher yields. So the, the plant doesn't need that supplemental unless you're really pushing the, the maximum of what that plant can actually produce. That's right. It's just not really economical if you're making 50, 60, 65 bushels. We just don't see the yield increases, and we definitely don't see the economics of putting additional potash because generally if you are uh, have your soil well fertilized uh, for uh, according to the soil sample, you've got enough potash to make these 50 to 60, 65 bushel yields, but most of our soil samples aren't set up for people that are wanting to make 100 bushel plus soybeans. Yeah, yeah. That's some really great information, and and, uh, what do you think now that we're here in July, what do growers need to be concerned about in terms of soybeans and moving forward with the, the rest of the season? Well, the biggest thing they need to be concerned about is stink bugs. And Scott and I are going to do do a, a soybean scouting video afterwards. But I would say that stink bugs are our number one pest. But the other thing they need to be worried about is foliage feeders. Last year in North Alabama, we had a pest that came in that we generally don't see, and that's a velvetine caterpillar. And so they literally just stripped the plants. And that can easily be taken care of if you're making a fungicide application. If you'll put out two ounces of demolin, that will give season-long control of some of our voracious foliage feeders, uh, uh, velvet bean caterpillar, the green clover worm. It is uh, not so good on the soybean looper, but can give you some suppression, especially if you go at higher rates. And, and Eddie, I'll mention uh, real quick, that we were hoping we weren't going to this year, but we've already started picking up some uh, red banded stink bugs. Uh, found some on the research station in Prattville a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the week after, we got a, a call from a, a grower in uh, in the Black Belt about some red banded stink bugs, and that one, as you know, is a little bit different than our other our kind of traditional stink bugs, if you will. The the green or the southern green stink bug, it, the red banded is, is a little bit more aggressive. Our, our thresholds are reduced for that uh, particular insect. Uh, so that's just something to be to be looking for if you're out in the field and you see kind of a, a smaller green stink bug with a red band on its back, it, it, there's a good chance that is the red banded stink bug. Uh, so that's that's another one just, just to be looking for. But yeah, I, I agree at this point in the year from an insect standpoint, it's Stink bugs are what we're primarily worried about, but we're also uh, getting ready to start thinking about some foliage feeders as well. Well, last year, Scott, you and I did a, a video on the red banded stink bugs scouting for it in soybeans. So I guess I'll that's a timeless uh, YouTube video, so I just probably need to send it out to our growers again to uh, if they're unsure on how to scout for the red banded stink bugs, uh, they can view the video that you you made uh, with me, and this would help them out. Yeah, yeah, that's a good good plug there. And that little bit of scouting can have some really important economic considerations. Yeah, I would say that uh, stink bugs sometimes are a silent killer. They can they can cause a lot of damage not only in soybeans but in corn and uh, uh, cotton also. Another thing we have to realize is when corn dries down in North Alabama, corn is a great 
host a refuge for snake bugs, they're going to be leaving that corn and they're going to go look for something else to feed on, and that's usually soybeans or cotton. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Well, Eddie, it's been a pleasure having you on the Alabama Crops Report podcast. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners about, any other upcoming programs or anything? Well, I just wish that we continue to get timely rains and then they quit at harvest time. (laughs) That may be a little bit too much to ask for, but we've been very fortunate. We've had good moisture, at least up in North Alabama, uh, all during the growing season. So when we get to harvest, we uh, cotton bowls uh, start opening and we need to harvest corn and soybeans. We hope to get some dry weather. Absolutely. That's right. All right. Well, thanks for your time today, Eddie. We appreciate you making the trip down to to main campus to visit with us. And uh, Adam, enjoyed it today. Absolutely, Scott. Good being with you. And thanks again, Eddie. Appreciate you being here. All right, folks. Well, uh, we appreciate you all listening in. Uh, Really, really uh, appreciate our our listeners for for supporting us. And as always, if any of us can ever be of any help, please don't hesitate to reach out and let us know. The Alabama Crops Report podcast is a production of the Alabama Cooperative Extension System and is sponsored by Alabama Ag Credit.